Thank you, Karina. Now, on, on this Pentecost Sunday, I want to start with an important question, which is, who here has a microwave? Most of us. Now, who here can remember when microwaves first came in? A few of us. I was trying to work out whether, when this was, I think, kind of in the late 70s or early 80s, maybe. And there was a lot of suspicion around microwaves, if you can remember. There were, can you remember that? They were seen as quite dangerous, and there was a story of someone accidentally cooking their hand. Can you, can you remember that? And don't stand too near, because it will cook you from the inside out, and you won't even realize. And I remember when my mum bought a microwave home for the first time, and uh, she put it in the kitchen, and me and my sisters were all sort of standing, uh, just looking through the door, and she just put a, 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 a cup of tea or something inside to reheat or something. And I remember punching in the numbers, and we all sort of hid around the, around the corner, and we were checking our hands and just checking uh, we hadn't uh, been cooked or anything, and we, were re we didn't trust this thing. And uh, it seemed a bit unsafe. And what I want to do is suggest this morning that um, there is a sense in which a microwave is a bit like the Holy Spirit. In the sense of, I don't know how you feel about the Holy Spirit this Sunday where we celebrate the pouring out of the Spirit. Are you a bit fearful of the Holy Spirit? Do you trust the work of the Holy Spirit? Do you sort of, ooh, I've got to be a bit careful here. Are you on your back foot with the things of the Spirit? I just want to kick off with that question. Where are you with the Holy Spirit? How intimate are you with the Holy Spirit? What's your attitude to the Holy Spirit? I was thinking about my microwave in my kitchen now. I've come completely indifferent to the microwave now. I, d I never even think about how um, you know, extraordinary this invention is. Maybe you don't even think about the, the Holy Spirit. So I want to start with that powerful analogy. Okay, uh, where are you with the things, with the person of the Spirit? Now, we're going to look at these verses this morning, uh, these verses from Isaiah, and we've been looking at the book of Isaiah, as I said a few minutes ago. These verses are really, really well known from Isaiah 61. These verses, as you know, were read by Jesus when he walked into the synagogue in Nazareth, and he read uh, not all of these verses we've had read this morning, but he read uh, half of them, and uh, this is in Luke chapter 4, and at the end of them he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and uh, by doing that, really, what he was saying to the people in the synagogue was, you know how Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah, the Lord's anointed, who would finally come and release the people, I'm actually that person, it's done, I'm I'm him. I'm here. So this is an extraordinary moment. These verses are amazing. We read them very, very frequently in the church. Uh, has anyone heard a sermon on these verses before? Yeah, I mean, probably several. And so what I want to do is just draw out three things about the Holy Spirit from them on this Pentecost Sunday. The first thing is, uh, on this Pentecost Sunday, uh, I think these verses remind us that the Holy Spirit brings life. The Holy Spirit brings life. Verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
these verses actually are all about life and transformed lives and people's lives being transformed. And uh, Jesus was about life, wasn't he? He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So I want to, first of all, say these verses from Isaiah actually speak of life. Now, about 20 years ago, I don't know whether you've got any Godchildren. Have you got any Godchildren? I, I, I was asked to be a Godfather when I, in my early 20s. I, I, I didn't really know anything about children, and uh, I had a Godson. I had to get him a birthday present, and uh, I didn't know where to go. You know, what does a baby want? I don't really know. And uh, someone said, go to this shop on the King's Road. It's a children's shop, and, uh, you know, go in there. You'll find something. Just ask someone in there. And I walked into this shop on the King's Road in London, and um, there was a cafe. I thought that's a bit strange, and um, there were lots of sort of presents in there. And then there's sort of something right at the back. There seemed to be this, uh, it was the most extraordinary thing, this sort of, in the dimness, this merry-go-round, this massive merry-go-round at the back of the shop. And... Um, it was extraordinary. I was just sort of slightly intrigued, sort of thinking, oh, was, it was full of parents. I wasn't one. I was feeling a bit out of place. Then I noticed this slightly strange man just walked in. And um, I was watching him. I thought, who's he? And he was, what on earth are you doing? He plugged something in. He turned on the power. And suddenly this whole merry-go-round lit up. And all these lights lit up. And the whole place was transformed and full of extraordinary life. And everyone started, wow. The merry-go-round is ready. I want to uh, suggest, actually, that in the same way that this guy walked in and bought life, uh, the Holy Spirit brings life and transforms and changes uh, everything. Now, Jesus, in quoting these verses, was saying he was going to bring life in a number of different ways. You'll see he would bring life by proclaiming good news to the poor, He's uh, obviously Isaiah here is referring to the original captives in Babylon who were poor. But Jesus is saying, you know, I am going to actually minister and change the lives and bring life to poor people. Those actually in financial poverty, economic poverty, but also spiritual poverty. That's what I'm going to do. He says he was going to bring life by binding up the brokenhearted. Uh, and this is a real intimate picture here. It's of someone being uh, bandaged up, you know closely, carefully, soothing and healing. And uh, this is what Jesus is saying. Obviously, Isaiah was speaking about healing and restoring those in exile, but Jesus was speaking about the people in his time who uh, actually were brokenhearted. He would bring life by proclaiming freedom for the captives. And uh, again, Isaiah was speaking about those in exile in Babylon. Jesus actually was referring to all those who were enslaved in one way or other. And um, uh, he was going to actually free them. And he would bring life by releasing those in darkness. Uh, this phrase here literally means uh, to open the eyes and bring prisoners out of a dark dungeon into light. So this is referring to those who are blind. And you'll recall that actually king, the king of Judah, Zedekiah, he was uh, captured and uh, people put his eyes out so he couldn't see. And they led him then into captivity in Babylon. So, so Jesus actually uh, is saying, I'm going to actually restore people's sight. Not just blind people, but also people who can't see, whose worldview is wrong, who don't see the truth about God. This is what he was going to do. And of course, finally, he'd bring life by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. 
This is a, a reference, the year of the Lord's favor, to the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, if you look at Leviticus 25, uh, debts were canceled and slaves were um, set free. So their lives would be transformed. And Isaiah's words weren't guff when he wrote these things, because actually the captives were brought out of exile. And Jesus was not full of bravado when he said this is what he was going to do either, because actually uh, he went on to do all these things, to heal people, restore people, to set people free. He did all of these things. And my point is, the reason he could do all of these things was because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Spirit of God. So I'm just reminding us very, very briefly this morning, I don't know what your attitude to the Holy Spirit is, but the Holy Spirit brings life. The Holy Spirit is about life. He changes lives and transforms people. This is what the Holy Spirit uh, does. So um, let me ask you, how is your relationship with the Holy Spirit at this time in your Christian journey? How is your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Fearful, lack of trust, hiding behind the door, frightened of the microwave? Or are you actually uh, seeking the things of the Spirit, seeking the Holy Spirit, and hungering for the things of the Spirit? If we want to find life and life to the full, Isaiah and Jesus would say we need to be people of the Spirit. So that's the first thing. Are you with me on that? The second thing I want to remind us on Pentecost Sunday is that actually the Holy Spirit brings joy. He doesn't just bring life, such is the amazing work of the Holy Spirit. He also brings joy, verses 2b to 3. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Of course, again, Isaiah was speaking of the transformation of those in captivity uh, in Babylon, who was obviously despairing and in grief. But actually, uh, Jesus used these, these words to actually uh, mark out his ministry to the people of his time who uh, needed joy and transformation. Let me ask you, how joyful do you feel in your life at the moment? Uh, are you someone who spreads joy and lightness? Or uh, are you uh, a bit grumpy? You know, someone said to me last week in the congregation, oh, my children, they just tell me I'm grumpy all the time. And, uh, you know, where are you? Are you a sort of smiley banana? Or are you a bitter lemon, a bit sour? You know, when those merry-go-rounds lit up in the back of that shop, I was kind of just, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is just kicked off. This whole place has been transformed. I can't believe it. I immediately thought, who's going to be the first to go on the merry-go-round? There's a long queue of children. I looked, there was about a four-year-old girl. I didn't really know how old she was. And um, red dress, she jumped on. And uh, the thing started turning around. And I've never seen someone so full of joy. Uh, 20 years later, I can just still see this girl and just the joy on her face. And uh, uh, everyone in the cafe were just putting down their cups and, and starting to look at this girl going round and round because she looks so full of life and joy. And uh, her mum said to me, you know, some people actually uh, just come to watch her 
on this thing because it cheers, her up, it cheers them up so much. And uh, I was reminded of that quote of St. Uh, Irenaeus, I think is how you say it, the glory of God is man fully alive. She just radiated the glory of God. So let's look at these verses. Extraordinary things are promised here. Absolutely amazing. Three things. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. People uh, in grief in the ancient Near East, uh, when people died, would actually cover their head with ashes. So it was a visible thing. You could see it. And if you want to see an example of that, read Tamar, Tamar's awful story in 1 Samuel 13, 19. But crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. So a new uh, life of joy will replace the mourning. Uh, of people, not just the captives in Babylon, but also Jesus' contemporaries. Garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And uh, this garment, garment really symbolizes a gift of a whole new nature leading into a whole new way of life, distinguished by praise, not despair. And um, the depth and extent of this transformation actually is quite extraordinary. The visible and outward signs are changed. The ashes on the head will vanish and be restored by a crown of beauty. There's inner, eternal and hidden grief described here in hearts. The oil of joy will replace mourning. And there's that inner spirit of despair right in the deep uh, places uh, will actually uh, be reversed, and uh, there'll be a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So this is an extraordinary work that uh, Isaiah prophesied. It's an extraordinary work that Jesus said he would do. Uh, and uh, we see, as we read the Gospels, him doing just that. So let me ask you again, how joyful are you at this time in your life? And uh, I want to suggest this is important for us personally, isn't it? But it's critical for us corporately as well that as Christian communities, we're joyful places. And, um, you know, I remember speaking to a friend's father when I came to faith, and uh, uh, I was trying to basically speak of Jesus. He said, My, I will never become a Christian. And I said, why will you never become a Christian? Uh, he said, it's not uh, concerns about the Bible and its authenticity. It's not recent scientific developments. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not church history that worries me. Actually, uh, if Christians really, really believed what they say they believe about Jesus and his death, his resurrection, and the life he offers, they wouldn't be so miserable. And I, I'm not uh, actually wanting to be critical here or condemning, but often, you know, uh, we're not known for our joy, are we? Um, you know, Christians are often known, oh, they're people who don't do that or all the rest of it. So this is actually really, really important that we're joyful communities who, who uh, actually um, stand in the joy that God has given us. Now, in calling us to be joyful and more and more joyful, I'm not uh, actually um, asking us to uh, pretend we don't have problems, to ignore our problems. Uh, to pretend life isn't difficult, to have fake cheesy grins. Uh, like you, I've got enough, I've had enough life ex events and experiences in my own life to make me depressed if I want to be for the rest of my life. Had some very difficult things happen. But actually, we need to distinguish joy from happiness. Happiness is related to things that actually happen to us. Joy is of a whole different order. So you can actually be joyful in the presence of difficult things. Let me unpack this. 
Joy actually comes from the Holy Spirit. This is my point. Uh, the Greek word for joy is kara. Joy is the natural reaction to the work of God, whether uh, we've seen him do things in our lives already or we're waiting for things to come. And uh, we're given the, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy, isn't it? And uh, our joy is centered on God and who he is and what he's done. This is the point, irrespective of our circumstances. It's the joy of our salvation. It's the joy of our deliverance. It's the joy, actually, of God's presence, the sense of God himself, by his spirit, being in us and with us in the testing places, be that in our families, with our children, at school, at university, uh, uh, as uh, we face retirement, as we live the retired life, whatever it is, we have God himself with us. And uh, ultimately, um, whether we are joyful or not is not up to God. It's actually up to us. We just have to make the choice to uh, hook in to who God is and what he's done, I want to suggest. And so, the, secondly, the Holy Spirit brings joy. And that's really, really important for us. Um, I was at a conference, the HDB Leadership Conference. They interviewed the head of the Catholic Church in the UK, I think he is the Archbishop of Westminster. I think his name is Cardinal, I can't remember, sorry. And um, he was asked, you know, what's the greatest challenge for the church? He said, to be honest, we need to exhi exhibit far more joy and celebration in the church in response to what Jesus has done. It's an interesting response, isn't it? So are you joyful? Am I joyful? It's easy to get negative. It's easy to get crippled by life. It's easy to look at the problems and lose sight of God entirely. The Spirit of God, actually, when we come to him, will keep us joyful. So, and thirdly and finally, on this Pentecost Sunday, we remember that the Spirit of God releases purpose. The Spirit of God doesn't just release life and joy, he actually also releases purpose. Verses 3b to 4. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. You know, uh, I got speaking to this little girl's mum on the merry-go-round, and uh, we were just laughing. She said, I couldn't believe how much fun she's having, and uh, she said, you know, she, uh, she actually uh, tells everyone about this merry-go-round <laughs> uh, at school. She's brought all her friends. She just talks about it all the time. And uh, she uh, basically has brought so many people in that they're having to reconsider how they do the whole shop and um, <laughs> set this thing up because uh, actually she was so enthusiastic about it. I'll come back to that. But the Spirit of God was poured out on Jesus to empower his purpose. He described his purpose. He did it in the power of the Spirit. And uh, actually, the Spirit is poured out on us, the church, to empower our purpose. This is the point. And uh, we can often or even regularly forget, um, actually, we have a holy, an extraordinary, uh, a godly, uh, an adventurous, an exciting purpose as the people of God. We can, do you ever think, oh my gosh, I can't believe my life's come to this. Or, oh my gosh, uh, uh, they seem sorted and be it just hasn't happened for me. Or, oh my gosh, um, uh, I thought it was going to be a bit different. Actually, you know, as Christians, we have this extraordinary purpose that God uh, has given for us. Uh, as we've seen, 
God gives us a new healing, a new comfort, new clothes. He gives us a new name, Oaks of Righteousness. And uh, uh, he also gives us a new purpose. What's our new purpose? We're to rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. To renew the cities that have been devastated for generations. This obviously is a picture of the restoration uh, of Jerusalem following the return from Babylon. But in our uh, New Testament times, following Christ, this is our purpose to go into the world, to make disciples of all nations, and actually build the kingdom of God. You might be sitting there thinking, well, how on earth will we rebuild the ancient ruins? Uh, Actually, notice we're not called to attend lots of services and do lots of things uh, like that. We're actually called to do what Jesus did, which is, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to proclaim good news to the poor. And there are lots of poor people around today, aren't there? Not just economically poor, but spiritually poor. And uh, uh, we meet people every day in this category. In the power of the Spirit, we're actually called to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what we're called to do, in the power of the Spirit. Do you know anyone who's a bit brokenhearted? This is our job as Christians to bind them up in the power of the Spirit. In the power of the Spirit to proclaim freedom for captives. And uh, so many people are enslaved today to all sorts of addictions, um, self-hatred, ways of relating to people that are unhealthy. We're called to help them be freed in the power of the Spirit. In the power of the Spirit to go on releasing those in darkness. And um, many, many people are in darkness today, aren't they? Uh, uh, all sorts of uh, things. In the power of the Spirit to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to keep on in His power seeking to set people free. So I want to suggest in closing on this Pentecost Sunday, this day is a day to renew our commitment to the purpose of God wherever we find ourselves. This is the call. This is the um, point of Pentecost Sunday. To refuse to be silent about Jesus and to refuse to settle for anemic and powerless faith without the leading and anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is the point. To refuse to be shaped and twisted by our consumeristic values and the values of our culture that assault us day in, day out, on our phones, on our TVs, in the magazines. To refuse to believe those voices that say to us, actually, we're over, we're done, we're finished, our lives aren't really very significant, Uh, we've screwed things up. Actually, we come back to the purposes of God. To say as Isaiah did, here I am, just send me today, just send me today, and to step out in faith uh, in the power of God, to do what Jesus did with focus, with passion, with boldness, with enthusiasm, and most of all, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If he had to be anointed with the Spirit, the Son of God, to do what he did, how much more will we? Amen.